rejoice, weep with those who weep. And then from Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And then finally from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I'm the old man who shows up in contemporary ever so often. And just to give you an idea of how old I am, I have just completed my 44th year as a preacher. (laughs) That's older than some of you are, I know. I began my first service as a pastor in August of 1974. It was the week that Richard Nixon resigned from the presidency. I'll never forget it. Over the course of those 44 years, I figure that I have preached at least 3,000 sermons. And I do relish the opportunity to preach. At its best, preaching is a holy symbiosis. It is a coming together of latent potentialities, a calling forth of possibilities. Preaching is deep calling to deep. The Holy Spirit infusing human words with divine energy in such way that worship happens. If preaching is effective, then souls are reached, hearts are opened, minds are opened. Discipleship begins to happen. A difference is made in someone's life. It is a sacred privilege to preach. Still, I am surprised, not that I have been able to preach for 44 years, but that as I think back over those 44 years, preaching is not the thing that I remember most readily. The truth is that with few exceptions, I really can't remember very many of my sermons. I have a vivid impression of the overall experience of preaching, but not much memory of actual sermons. Their content simply escapes me. And I know what some of you are thinking. Your sermons weren't that memorable in the first place. No wonder you forgot them. You're probably right, but... Given the amount of effort and time that I put into most of those sermons, one would think I would be able to recall them more readily. So what do I remember from 44 years of ministry? I can answer that very, very easily. I recall people. I remember Meaningful times spent with dear brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I remember times of gentle conversation. I, I remember uh, moments of energetic learning and dreaming. I remember quiet times. I remember some stressful confrontations. I remember some downright conflict. I remember people. The warp and woof of human interaction is the thing that is implanted in my heart and mind. Memories of deep fellowship last far longer than memories of deep sermons. And I share this with you because I perceive that in this memory of mine, there is a calling. There is a calling of God. It's not a call that I've always honored or even recognized or answered, but I am, con I am firmly convinced that it is there. I, I think the Holy Spirit is trying to break into my consciousness and perhaps through my words into your consciousness. And I believe perhaps the Holy Spirit is tr trying to help us see and feel and know in the deepest way possible the thing that Jesus commanded. And the thing that Paul and the early church taught. And that is to pay attention. To pay attention to those connections we have with those who are closest to us. It is to recognize and respect and strengthen the ties that bind us to one another. Because in the end, those same ties that bind us to each other bind us to Christ. As Jesus prepares to leave his disciples, he said to them, I give you a new commandment. Now we have to appreciate the fact that these folks are all about commandments. Their lives have been defined by commandments, by laws given by God, received from God. They... they have lived with this ordering of their life, the meaning of their existence, all caught up in laws. And they have spent their days with Jesus, and Jesus has said to them, you have heard that it was said of old, but I say unto you, do not think that I've come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And so they are looking to Jesus for that one razor-sharp focus, that single unmistakable statement that will sum up the whole of who Jesus is and who they are supposed to be. And so Jesus says, here it is. You've been waiting for it. A single new commandment. Don't we long for that kind of clarity in our lives? Amid all of the complexities of our lives, of our faith, within all the questions, within all the doubts and the desires, we yearn for a penetrating word that will make plain the true way, the authentic life that God desires for each of us. And here Jesus gives it a new commandment. And it is simply that we should love one another as he loves us. Jesus goes on to say that by this will all know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. 
According to Jesus, the mark of true discipleship is not what we say or where we live or what we eat or drink or wear. It's not even exactly what we believe. It's not where we work. It's not how we vote. The one true mark of Christian discipleship is that we love those closest to us as Jesus loves us. It is surprisingly simple yet amazingly difficult. You remember that elsewhere Jesus says that we are to love our enemies. We are to love and pray for those who persecute us. And I've often wondered, why did Jesus not make that the mark? Why was that not the standard? That's a, that's a more demanding thing, isn't it, to love one's enemies than to love those near us? Why is that not the mark of discipleship? Why, why is it not by that love of enemies that we are known as his disciples? And yet Jesus says to those who are part of the inner circle, It will be by your love for one another that all will know you are my disciples. Why that? Well, in the first place, it is because genuine love requires that we bear one another's burdens. Genuine love requires that we feel others' pain and we share their struggles. And Paul says that by bearing one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. When we keep the new commandment, we do it with those near to us. Whether friend or foe, it's hard to bear the burdens of those who are distant from us. We rejoice with those who rejoice, who are near to us. We weep with those who weep near to us. We share the struggles and triumphs of those with whom we share life every day. Our family, our friends, our colleagues perhaps, and especially our fellow church members. These are the relationships in which love happens and is nurtured day by day. It isn't always easy. We we get on each other's nerves, don't we? I'm reminded of the monks, a group of monks who had among them a very annoying monk. And these monks sat at meals every day together for many years. And they always ate in silence. And there was this one monk who slurped his soup. And it irritated them to no end. But they couldn't say anything because they ate in silence. And they bore it They endured it until they were able to move beyond the irritations and accept their brother as the beloved soup slurper. (laughs) Of course, the challenge of staying connected with those near to us goes beyond annoyances. 
There are real failures. There are painful disappointments. To love as Jesus loves is to forgive others their trespasses as God forgives us our trespasses. Such love is very costly. It is painful. Our pride, our sense of entitlement is crucified with Christ. To love as Christ loves us is to stand with each other no matter what. And we cannot do this by our own willful effort, by our own determination and strength. This is not so simple as imitating Jesus. We do not get there by asking what Jesus would do and then doing it. It is a deep work of grace. It is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus commands us to love others as he loves us, he is inviting us to receive and to enter into his life. He is commanding us to accept his love as the wellspring of life and of love for one another. Moreover, I think Jesus commands us to love in this way because he knows that our love for others is often mediated, or our love for him, rather, is often mediated through our love for others. And his love for us is very, very often mediated to us through others. Apart from the love of others, The love of Jesus can remain vague, nebulous, impersonal. The love of Jesus is made real to us in those with whom we share our lives every day. John tells us that we have passed from death to life when we love our sisters and brothers. One of my favorite novels is The Brothers Karamazov. And there's a scene in the novel where some people come to visit the old Orthodox priest, Father Zosima. And they come to visit Father Zosima because their faith is shaky. They come asking for proof of God's existence. How can I retrieve my faith, they ask, according to what proofs? One cannot prove anything here, Father Zosima replies, but it is possible to be convinced. How, by what, they ask? By the experience of active love, he says. Try to love your neighbors actively and tirelessly. The more you succeed in loving your neighbors, the more you will be convinced of the existence of God. And if you reach complete selflessness in the love of your neighbor, then undoubtedly you will believe and no doubt will ever be able to enter your heart. This has been tested, he says. It is certain. You see, the assurance we need does not exist at the end 
of long, complicated reasoning or arguments. It's not to be found in the rigorous practice of religion. The assurance we need is in the Spirit's awakening of our awareness of the Jesus that is in others. It is to see in others in some small way the Christ that is in them. It is to see others in some small way as God sees them. It is to know them in all of their flaws and all of their failures and all of their potential and all of their accomplishments, all of their virtues, all of their vices. It is to see them as they are, as beloved sons and daughters of God. And it is to let them love us and to know, to remember that whatever love they have for us has its origins in God. Father Zosima was right. The proof, the evidence, the certainty of God's existence is in this amazing capacity we have to love. So how do we arrive at this awareness? Well, that could be the subject for another sermon, and we're out of time. Suffice it to say that it really comes down to simply paying attention and not taking each other for granted. In addition to preaching for 44 years, I've also been married for 42 years. And it is amazing how love deepens. And, and there are times when um, Nell and I see each other as if for the first time with amazement. And we are most amazed, I particularly am most amazed that she puts up with me. When we first got married, I was particularly annoying eating breakfast. She said, you slurp your cereal. <laughs> and you would rather read the, backs, the back of the cereal box than talk to me. So I had to be confronted with that. I had to make some changes. But even little things like that, God is in that. Do you, do you see that? God is in little simple things between you and your family, you and your friends. To get there is to rest openly and prayerfully in the knowledge that we love those near to us and they love us. So, will I remember this sermon? I might remember this one because it's a sermon about forgetting about sermons. Maybe I'll remember this. Will you remember it? Maybe, maybe not. But whether or not you remember, whether or not I remember, I would offer this in the moments that are before us. 
of all the times and of all the places where we may find ourselves, none is more sacred, none is more special than when we come to this table. When we come to this table, we are profoundly aware that we all are the same. We all share in common that we are sinners. We're imperfect, we're flawed, we failed. And we all share in common that we are forgiven. And we all share in common that we are deeply loved. And so I would invite you as you come to the table this morning to be aware of that about yourself and to be aware of that about the people around you. Maybe you come to the table with your family or you come to the table with friends or maybe even you come alone yet you are surrounded by friends. There are people here who care about you. And as we come to the table, let us receive the gift of grace that is here, that is in this moment, that is for each of us. And let us relish this opportunity as we give thanks. Lord, we confess that we have not always paid attention to those around us. In the rush of life, we often take for granted those near to us. Of all, Lord, we should never forget them. Help us to know not out of some sense of obligation, but out of a sense of gratitude, out of a sense of of joy that they are beloved. Let us celebrate their love for us and let us give our love to them. Enable us to give our love to one another as a congregation, as families, as people of faith. Let us give ourselves to one another as we would unto you. Because indeed, Lord, you are present in those relationships. And for them we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.